All right, today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. This is 1 Corinthians class number 10. All right, if you got your place, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. All right, first of all, we're going to talk about these first two verses for just a minute. And I think it's very important to get this one thing cleared up before we move on through the chapter. And that is that 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is not about money. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is not about money. A lot of times in church you will hear that uh, just before the offering, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And you've been, given, you've been made stewards of God's money. And what you ought to do is just forget about that. I'm talking about pastors, teachers, men who are trying to build large ministries and things like that. God bless you. If you can do that, build them as, as huge as you can build them. I have no problem with that whatsoever. It's just stop using the scriptures to manipulate people into doing what they're supposed to do. God's people ought to give. God's people ought to be very good givers and very cheerful givers. But this is not the passage of Scripture that teaches that. This is not the It is in Corinthians, but this is not it. When you're going to look at the Scripture and look at the context, the context of this chapter is so much better than money or finances that it's just not even comparable. Take the scripture, use it as it was intended, and it will always work out right. If you want to convince people to give, use the passages of scripture that are aimed at money, and then use this passage of scripture for what it was intended for. And God has the perfect plan. God has the, the perfect methods. God knew what he was talking about when he gave us his word. Let's just use it as he gave it to us. And boy, we'll really reap some blessings from it. Now let's look at it in context and what a good context this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What he does, what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is he strikes the perfect balance. He uses the perfect line of thought to strike a balance between authority and submission. And I've always said this, and I'll say it once more here. The Bible talks about being subject one to another. I believe a church ought to be subject, subject, and all the meaning of its word. Well, that I'm... When you say the word subject, I think about a king and his subjects. Whatever you, whichever way you think about it, I hope you're thinking about it in the sense of its English use. And when you're talking about being subject to somebody, it is being in subjection to somebody. Wives being in subjection to their own husbands. Of course, uh, that's a very unpopular subject. But it is a true subject, and God will bless you for doing it. If you're a wife and you're subject to your husband, God will bless you. If you're a daughter or a son and you're in subjection to your mother and your father, God is going to bless you for it. Matter of fact, that's a commandment with promise to be subject to your parents. Children, obey your, uh, obey your parents in the Lord. He says that you're to be obedient to your parents because this is the first commandment with promise. Many of the commandments are just do this or do that. But this is a, a great commandment because it has a promise attached to it. You're obedient to your parents. You're subject to your parents. And God will give you a long life for it. That's a great promise. 
Now, it says, so moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. He says, no big deal to me if you judge me. Now, you're talking about people being in subjection to the leadership of the church at the same time. And this is, I, I said, I've said this a lot of times. I got off track a little bit. But the, the church members should be in subject to a bishop, to an overseer. Uh, the deacons, I believe, should be subject to a bishop or an overseer. And a lot of times we're afraid of words like bishop and things like that because of what, what the Catholic Church has done to those terminologies. Uh, they've made archbishops and all kinds of stuff like that. And perhaps in the grand scheme of things, there, there, might, there might very well should be a bishop that is over bishops. There's no question about that. But when you put so much emphasis on that, you very rarely put emphasis on the fact that a bishop is supposed to be subject to a congregation as well. And that's not to be ruled over. And that's not to be a yes man just to please a congregation who has itching ears. That's not to be in subjection to the wishes and wants of the people so that you can get a big paycheck. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about being subject to one another. If I have a congregation, it should be subject to me. It should trust God that God is going to give them the direction of their life, the direction of each of their situations and trials and troubles and temptations. God's going to help them through the gift. The Bible says that pastors and teachers and evangelists and folks like that are gifts to the church. And the church ought to trust that God is going to use that tool, uh, that man, that tool, that uh, instrument, that vessel, God's going to use that man to uh, fulfill a lot of things in their lives. At the same time, a man that is a bishop, a man that's a pastor, ought to be subject to the people in that I owe it to them. I, it is my duty to them. Uh, when you think of being in, sub, uh, in subjection to somebody, you think that that's all one-sided. Well, if a wife is in subjection to her husband, the husband at the same time ought to be in subjection to the wife. If she is going to follow me, then I, it's my duty also to submit myself to leading her. And that's not to abuse her or to belittle her or to beat her down. Uh, it's my job to my children to provide them with the very best father that they can possibly get. And that takes subjection. The same goes with the pastor. It's my duty as a pastor to give the congregation that God, the flock that God has made me the overseer of. It's my duty to submit myself and subject myself to give them the very best bishop, overseer, pastor, shepherd, whichever terminology that you want to use out of the Bible to describe that office. And it certainly is an office. But I ought to submit myself to fulfill that office in the very best way that I can. It's my duty to find a good sermon. It's not my duty to read somebody else's book and try to regurgitate that. It's not my job to try to get an idea and, and, and bring an undigested idea to feed the flock with. It's, it's my duty to do much more than that. And this passage of Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, illustrates that with perfection. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. Hey, when you look at, Paul is saying, when you look at me, you're supposed to take an account that we're the ministers of Christ. And he says, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. When you look at me, 
you ought to find me faithful. When you examine me, you ought to find me faithful. This is what he's talking about in, in the book of Timothy when he says that the bishop ought to be blameless. And certainly it doesn't mean sinless perfection, but it does mean that there, there are guidelines, there's rules, there's principles. There is a process to go through when you don't live up to those principles. If you sin, you ask forgiveness. If you come short, you do better. If you're not doing right, you repent. There, there is a process by which you go, by which you uh, move through this life that will uh, be visible to others and they can look at you and you say, well, that man's doing what he ought to do. He's not perfect, but in regards to his imperfection, he's doing what he ought to do uh, to... Uh, you know, balance it or to uh, to counteract it. His imperfections, he asks God to help him with. His sins, he confesses those. He, he doesn't relish uh, the idea of living in those sins. He doesn't wallow in the mire, so to speak. But he has the right heart, right mind, the right attitude. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul says here, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Found faithful by who? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? and it's, it's readily obvious. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yeah, I, I judge not mine own self. I'm not the judge of me. So, I, I mean, a lot of times people will get mad at you for judging them because they think they are their own judge. They are living by their own prescription. They're living by their own set of rules. Uh, you've got your conviction and I've got mine. No, matter of fact, I don't have my own convictions. I've got Bible convictions. You may very well have your own convictions, but I don't have my own. All, the, all of my own convictions have never done anything but frustrate me because I can't even live up to them. And so Paul's saying pretty much that same thing. He says, uh, when you look at me, you ought to take an account of the fact that I am a minister of God, that I'm a steward, that I am a, a steward of the mysteries of God, not the money of God, the mysteries of God. The doctrines, the principles, the statutes, the directives, the dispensations. He says, I'm a minister of those things. I am a steward of those things. And he says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yeah, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. The only thing I know is what God's taught me. See, God gives me the ideas. God gives me the principles. God gives me the doctrines. God gives. God provided all this stuff. It's not, my, it's not something that I invented. It's something that God gave me. And so I'm not going to judge myself by something God gave me. God will do the judging. You can even look at me and judge righteous judgment. Uh, people have overused and you uh, misused. Judge not lest you be judged to the point where they think that's the Bible standard. That is not the Bible standard. The Bible standard is judge not lest you be judged. That certainly is true. But at the same time, he says, you're trying to get the mold out of somebody else's eye and you've got your own eyes full. But what does he say? He doesn't say, so just don't judge, period. No, he says, get your own eyes clean. Then you'll be able to see clearly so that you can get the mess out of other people's eyes. So that's what Paul's saying here. He said, God gave me all this. God helped me get cleaned out. Now you look at me and tell me if I'm being faithful in what God has given me or not. I'm preaching to you. I've gave you all these principles, all these doctrines. Now you look at me and see how am I doing. If I'm coming short, am I getting right? 
Am I, am I an established saint? Am I an established minister? You be an account of that. I'm not going to judge myself. You judge it. He says, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. So our accounting of one another is not to praise one another or belittle one another. Those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. It's not to... Uh, to judge someone in the sense of I sentence you to 10 years that's not your job at all but we can take an account of one another to see that to see you know if we're living up to the mark or living up to the standard in the sense of judging nothing before it's time it's like well I, I sentence you to you know die on the cross because you haven't lived up to the standards of the Lord of the church that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about judging things to be right or wrong and, or judging somebody to be faithful or unfaithful or judging somebody to be worthy of an office or not worthy of an office. Those things are plain and clear in the scripture that we as a church ought to do those things. But it's when it comes to the point of judging someone to say, well, you know, God's all through with you and you can die now. Or God's all through with you and you're uh, never to ever step foot in a church again. No, we're not able to do that. We shouldn't do that. And so, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up in, uh, for one against another. Now, uh, it's a very short class, but I think that's important enough to leave it right there. And when we pick up again, we'll we'll talk more on this same subject, but we will also uh, put it in the sense of not just approving or disapproving, but approving of one to the detriment or to the forsaking of another. And so these are these are large enough principles that we should probably separate them out and take them one by one give you one class let you digest that a little bit in your mind and then we'll give you the the next application as it were in the next class all right god bless you thank you for for uh, participating with us today